This morning, I want to pray, and God did some things with this message that I just felt very uncomfortable in what he was asking me to do. We're going to take a look at the life of Moses and entitle this God's Divine Positioning. But what is interesting about what we're going to do this morning is that this is not, this is a very odd way, a very ununique way of presenting a man. Because God had me, because Moses, just so much going on with his life. But he began to reveal to me there couldn't have been a Moses unless there were two other people. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to pick up two people in our journey as we make our way to Moses' neighborhood. And as we pick up these two people in the journey, there are some things that these two people want us to know about our journey. There are some things that they want us to understand and know about where we are in our journey. So as we navigate, I pray that the Lord will reveal to you where you are, why you are where you are, and then help you begin to connect the dots. Very quickly, let me ask you a question. How many of you sitting here was born outside of the state of Louisiana? Please stand very quickly. You were born outside of the state of Louisiana. Quickly, quickly. Look around. Yep, that's called divine positioning. (laughs) All right, be seated. How many of you in here was born outside of, of the United States? Please stand. You were born outside of the United States. Look around. Look around. Look around. Outside. You had no idea that you were going to be here. It's called God's divine positioning. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning. And we submit everything to you. As Moses said, God, we will not go unless you go with us. Today, you have been a guiding light. Your anointing has been strong. So, Father, help me, help me to speak what your word is saying to us today. Help us to connect the dots. Reveal your word and your truth to us. That at the end of this message, we will walk away with a greater understanding of why we are where we are and what you are doing and have been doing and is continued to do behind the scenes. Even though we cannot see you, even though we cannot trace you, help us to trust you. Father, we thank you and we honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Let the church say amen. 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 God's divine positioning. I want you to understand this morning that there are those of you in here or in situations and seasons of your life that somewhat is confusing. Some of you have said, Lord, I never thought I would be at this place in my life. I never dreamed that I would be with him or her. God, I never thought that, it, that my life, the sum total, would be where I am today. And yet I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak through the word of God to remind you that you are where you are because God, through his sovereign power, has been causing things to happen, arranging and rearranging because he is divinely positioning you for something. I want you to understand that. God does not make mistakes. And so you need to understand that the shiftings that is taking place in the earth today, the shifting that is taking place in this church is all for the glory of the Father. 
so that God will be glorified because he is sovereign and he is in charge of things in the earth. We need to understand that. Well, there are two words that I looked at today and I want to bring out to you. The word is critical juncture. The word critical means at or a point at which something suffers an abrupt change, especially having enough mass to sustain a chain of reactions. Let me read it again. The word critical here is defined at or at a point at which something suffers an abrupt change, especially having enough mass to sustain a chain of of reactions. And then the word juncture means a particular point, an event or a time, a place where things are joined. Now, if you put the two words together, what you clearly see is there is a divine movement in the earth with a sovereign God. If you put the two words together, and as we're navigating through this word, I want you to start connecting the dots in your life so that where you are is not a mistake. You are right where God wants you to be, even though it not, may not be a good place. So when we put it together, we're looking at there's a point when something suffers an abrupt change where there is series of events that's causing a reaction where two points are joining together at a place where something is requiring you to make a choice and a decision. So this not only are your lives at a critical junction, the church is at a critical junction, but so is our culture in the world. I want to read something to you in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11 through 14 in the Amplified. It says this, He has made everything beautiful and appropriate in its time. He has also planted eternity, a sense of divine purpose in the human heart, a mysterious longing which nothing under the sun can ever satisfy except God. Yet man cannot find out, comprehend, or grasp what God has done, his overall plan, from the beginning to the end. Somebody say, from the beginning to the end. This incredible man, Solomon, says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and do good as long as they live. He's talking about man, you and I. And also that every man should eat and drink and see and enjoy the good of all his labor. What is that? This labor is a gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it endures forever. I know whatever God does, it endures forever. I want you to understand, whatever God is doing in and through you, it's going to endure forever. How is that? Because when God is through shifting you and speaking to you and you get the revelation of what God is doing, you're going to see that it was for the glory of an eternal God. Whatever God does, it endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor can anything be taken from it. For God does it so that men will fear and worship him with all filled reverence, knowing, knowing, knowing that he is God. What is the purpose of divine positioning? The last part of the verse says that, God, that men will fear God and worship him with all filled reverence, knowing that he is God. 
What are you saying to me this morning, Pastor Freddie? I'm telling you, when, when you get the revelation of what God is doing and shifting in your life, it's going to bring glory to what God is doing because God is perfect and so is his shifting. His positioning of you is perfect, even though you may not think so. Well, let's take a look at our passage of Scripture that we're going to look at today. It's found in Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 through 22, and we'll read it. These are the names. Now, remember, we're talking about Moses. And these are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to Egypt with their father, each with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Nephthali, Gad, and Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. Somebody say Joseph. Okay. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly that they became extremely powerful and filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he had done. He said to his people, look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and are stronger than we are. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. Good luck with that. If we don't, and if, we war, if war breaks out, they will join our enemies and fight against us. Then they will escape from this country. Here's the diabolical plot. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. They forced them to build cities of Python and Ramesses as supply centers for the king. But the more... Look at this. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread, and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked uh, worked the people of Israel without mercy. They made their lives bitter, forcing them to mix mortar and make bricks and do all the work in the field. They were ruthless in all their demands. Then Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, gave this order to the Hebrew midwives, Shephira and Pua, When you help the Hebrew women as they give birth, watch as they deliver. If the baby is a boy, kill it. If it is a girl, let it live. But because the housewives, the midwives, feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. They allowed the boys to live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and asked, why did you do this? Why have you done this? He demanded, why have you allowed the boys to live? They answered, The Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. The midwives replied, they are more vigorous and have their babies so quickly that we cannot get there in time. Boy, that's a speedy delivery. Every woman say, whoo, Lord, give me that anointing. So, So God was good to the midwives and the Israelites continued to multiply, growing more and more powerful. And because the midwives feared God, say feared God, he gave them They gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, throw every newborn Hebrew boy into the Nile River, but you may let the girls live. That's a lot. 
Pharaoh thought that he could actually stop what God was doing by concocting this diabolical plan of killing off all of the Hebrew boys. And yet, because of God's positioning and God's sovereign movement in the earth, God was doing some things. But in order for us to take a deeper look, we got to ask ourselves, how did Israel get to this position in Egypt? Because I'm a firm believer that if we're going to talk about Moses and Moses alone, there is a lot of stuff in here that needs, or dots that need to be connected. You see, a lot of you are sitting here, and, and, and if we were to hear each and every one of your stories, we won't appreciate the story until we hear the stories behind the stories. There are people that God was moving behind the scenes of your life that God that said yes to God, that made critical decisions to obey God at critical junctions of their lives that led you to this point. And so we have to ask ourselves, how did Israel get into this position? Well, the first guy we need to pick up on this journey toward Moses, obviously, is Abram. And throughout this message, as I get to different points in this message, you're going to hear me use this cold word, critical junction. Because I want to call your attention to something an event that's about to take place that's going to require a certain thing from these people. So here's the first critical junction as it relates to the life of Moses, the call of Abraham. Look what it says. Point number one, here it is. Obedience always precedes God's divine positioning. Obedience always precedes God's divine positioning. Say it with me. Ready? Read. You see, when you get to that very important critical point, God is going to ask you to obey what he's given you and putting in your heart, whether you understand it or not. The command of obedience is just that. It is a command, not a suggestion. Because God is at work in your life. Well, let's look at it. According to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 4, let's look at this critical junction. The Lord said unto Abram, Leave your native country and your relatives and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Now watch this. So Abraham departed as the Lord instructed, and Lot went him. Abram was 75 years old when he left. Here's a critical point in Moses' life. Here's a critical point. God takes this man, introduces himself for the first time, and he says, I want you to leave, but I'm not telling you where to go. Who does that? I know most women would cringe in their lives, in their heart, if your husband came up to you and said, baby girl, we're taking a vacation. We're going to load up the van, load up the van, load up the kids, gas up the vehicle. Where are we going? I don't know yet. But we're going somewhere. That was, that was the, 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 what Mama Sarah had to deal with. She said, Abraham told her, we're leaving. Where are we going? Ah, uh, I don't know yet. But God said to leave. Go back and put the verse up because I want you to see this. Obedience became critical to Abraham, Abram, because in his obedience, in verse 1, it says, I will show you. 
Obedience came and God says, I will make you. Obedience has to be there because God says, I will bless you. And then all of a sudden, because of obedience, he says, you will be a blessing. Why? Because he says, I will bless. And hearing that, what did Abraham do in this very critical junction of his life? Abraham in verse 4. So Abraham departed as the Lord instructed. Wow. As the Lord instructed. My question to you is, wherever you're finding yourself today, are you obeying what God is saying? Are you moving in the direction that God is instructing you to move? But the results of Abram's blessing was that not only God was going to make him a great nation, God said, I'm going to bless you and you will be famous. I will bless you and bless others because of you. And those who bless you, they will be blessed. Now, what was the divine proof of that? How do we know that God was going to be a keeper of his promise? Well, look at Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. And we see evidence of this man obeying God at a very critical junction because, again, obedience always precedes divine positioning and there's blessings behind it. But look at Genesis chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 1, verse 1 through 6. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel, that is Jacob, who moved to what? Egypt with their father, each with his family. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher. In all, Jacob had 70 descendants in Egypt, including Joseph, who was already there. In time, Joseph and all his brothers died, ending the entire generation. I want you to understand what I just read to you was the blessing behind the obedience. Because when the instructions came to Abram, he had no children, plus he was 75 years old. You would think as he go in his journey, when God finally reveals to him that he's going to have a child, God should have given them that information when he was 20, 30, 35, 40. Somehow, most of you in here that have reached a certain age, you figure since God hasn't done it yet, he will not do it. But I'm here to tell you God is waiting for the right time, and the right time is right now. There's no time like the right now time. Don't ever think that your hair is too white for God to give you a new assignment. Don't ever think that your head is too bald that you have no more hair because your head has picked up the suitcase and left that God cannot start you on a new journey. Whoo! Man. Wow. The divine proof was found that God was a keeper of his promise and the result of Abraham of Abraham's Uh, obedience was seen in the fact that what we have revealed in the first six verses of Exodus. So looking at divine, God's divine positioning, it requires obedience, which always precedes divine positioning. Number two, God's divine positioning will take us to unfamiliar territory. I want you to read it with me. Ready? Read. Number two. Now, what I'd like you to do, I want you to read it again, but take out the word us and put me. Ready? Read. Is there anybody here today, find yourself in a place that's not very familiar, that you're not familiar with? How many of you in here find yourself as a tweener? Y'all know what a tweener is? A tweener is, where, is a person who's not where you were, 
but you're not where you want to be. So we call you tweeners. Where are my tweeners? Get your hands up. Look around, look around, look around, look around. How many of you know that a, being in a position as a tweener is a good place? Can I tell you why being a tweener is a good place? Because you have, from point one, you have the choice to either shift up or shift down. Because when you're in between gears, that's the place to do it. You can mash on the accelerator and give all this energy in your ankle, but you are not going anywhere. Sometimes God will put you as a tweener because he wants you to stand still and know that he is God. Because some of us are control freaks. Amen, Brother Freddie. Hallelujah, Brother Freddie. Are there any control freaks in this place besides me? Look around, look around. But can I tell you why God will from time to time position you as a tweener? Not to keep you locked in one position, but to shift you to another gear. <laughs> God is in the shifting business. And he wants to bring you to a whole nother level than where you are. So stop despising. Now, what is that shifting? What is that tweener situation? Look, a lost job and you're waiting. A situation where you never thought that you would have to live in a season alone because your spouse has now passed away or walked off and left you. A situation where you never thought that you would have to battle some form of disease or sickness. And you're waiting on God. That is a position called tweening. I'm telling you, God will never leave you in your tweener seasons. As a matter of fact, God has positioned you in a tweener so he can shift you into something and show you how big he really is. Because you need to know and be reminded we serve a big God. Let me go on. Wow. God's divine positioning will take us to unfamiliar territory. Look at Genesis chapter 12, verse 10. Critical junction. Critical junction. Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah. Critical junction. Look what it says. At that time, a severe famine struck the land. Somebody say severe famine. Struck the land of Canaan. Watch this. What did this famine do? Forcing Abraham to go down where? Forcing him to go where? Who are we talking about this morning? And where is Moses at this particular point? Where is the Israelites at this particular point? See, I'm telling you, a famine is never good. Brother like to eat. You look at all six sisters of this frame, I could put some food away. No one wants to live in famine. A famine is where there is nothing, no substance, there's a dry place. And many of us find ourselves in a place of famine. But God says, I'm going to use that famine to force you into the place of your promise. The place of my divine positioning for you. So God will use ugly things in our lives to produce pretty promises. Powerful promises. Wow. Watch what he says. And the famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abraham to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner, a strange and unfamiliar place. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 12 through 14, it says, after Abraham had gotten to the place and 
God showed him and began to give him the promise and told him, I will make you a great nation and uh, your nation will be like the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven. Abraham began to question, said, Lord, how will I know this, is, this will happen? How can I trust your divine word and your divine positioning. I've been following you, looking at my wife. She keeps asking me, why are we here? Why are we going here? By the way, gentlemen, you need to understand, when you bring your wife somewhere and she can't eat and she can't take care of babies, that's not a good place to be for a man. Amen? I can only imagine Sarah looking at Abraham's like, man, look, (laughs) these babies hadn't eaten in a while, but at the time they had no babies. She hadn't eaten. Because women love security. And Abraham and Sarah finds themselves in a position where they have nothing. It's a famine, and it is driving them to this place. Wow. Look what it says. So he questions God. This is a very critical junction. Abraham questioned God's promises. Watch what happens. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 12 to 14, as the sun was going down, Abraham fell asleep. And a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land where they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. But I will punish the nation that enslaves them. And in the end, they will come out with great wealth. Now, I want to show you something very quickly. Leave that scripture back up. Look at this. Then the Lord said to Abram, you asked me whether or not How is this going to happen? Look at verse 13, because verse 13 connects with the man Moses. The Lord said to Abram, you can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. They will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years. Isn't it amazing that God reveals Moses' life and Moses' calling to a man years before Moses shows up, and yet in this promise, God has already included Moses. But Moses is not revealed. What is God saying here? Can I tell you what he's saying? God will allow events to happen in other people's lives and not mention you until later. I know somewhere in the, in the process of time in this message, so over the airways, you know our pastor's logged in and he's watching this. So let me holler at him. Here was this man loving God, passionate about the word, but he finds himself in a very unfamiliar territory. He's now divorced. And the people around him tells him, you could never preach the gospel. He finds himself either in, a, in an apartment or a trailer, I don't know where he was, on his knees in a very unfamiliar place, crying out to God, God, all I want to do is preach your word, but why do you have me in this place? Then this awesome singer finds himself driving a truck, hauling wood. Wood to God, he said, I would not be here. And then all of a sudden, God brings him to a place where he's sitting and he's singing and preaching. And this long, tall young lady walks in. Little did he know, connected to that woman was a place called Mississippi. That that city boy had no idea God was divinely positioning him. Here's the man of faith and power, finds himself with chickens and pigs. 
And you would think the calling on his life and the place where he is, there's a disconnect. No, 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 no. Sometimes your anointing will connect you to chickens and pigs. <laughs> I can only imagine what phone call I'm going to get after this sermon's over. <laughs> Critical junction. And while he's going through all of that, God sends him to a place called Homa. I'm not staying here. God says, yes, you are. (laughs) Critical junction, Genesis chapter 37, verse 26 through 28, critical junction. We're coming. We're almost finished. Here's a critical junction. So obviously the first man we put in the car is Abram. We're about to put another man in the car, Joseph. Because, see, if we're going to talk about Abram, you got to talk, if you're going to talk about Moses, you got to include Abram and you got to include Joseph. Joseph, now, here it is, is sold into slavery by his brothers and he is taken where? He is taken to Egypt. Okay? Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. And not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother. Our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him where? Who took him where? Now, I want you to see this because sometimes the mistreatment of people at some point in your life, plays into God's divine positioning and where you will be. I know it was painful. Rejection hurts. People walking out of your life hurts. People hurting you to the point where you thought you could never recover. And yet those people became tools in the hands of God, shifting you. Isn't it interesting that the enemy uses only the people closest to you to hurt you because the hurt runs deeper. If it was a total stranger, we could handle it. We can walk away and say, I don't know them, they don't know me. But Satan uses the ones closest to you because when that happens, the pain runs deeper. Anybody know what I'm saying this morning? So this boy is at a critical junction. There's no way you can convince this dreamer, this interpreter of dreams that God is still moving. He's in this hole. And then his brothers decide not to kill him, thank God, but they weren't going to kill him because God has positioned this kid to sell him. Put the scripture back up. I want to show you something. I don't know if you caught it, but but look at 27. Come, let us sell him to the, who is that? Do you know who that is? That's their brothers. Remember Abraham when he first, his first son was not Isaac. His first son was Ishmael. God allowed allowed the right people to come along at the right critical time and they delivered him right to their own brothers because God was at work behind the scenes. That's awesome. Critical junction. He goes down to Egypt. Now this young man is a slave. Surely, God, you can't do nothing at this point. God, you done turned your back on me. 
Lord, I'm all here by myself. I done lost this job. God, I'm just, I'm just a mess and a wreck. You know my favorite word, Lord, I'm toe up from the floor up. But watch this. Here's the key word, critical junction. Critical junction. Notice what I'm doing. I'm popping clips in and out, in and out. That's the unusual part because there needs to be a flow, but time will not admit me, permit me to flow, so I've got to pop critical junctions in the, in, the, in, the, in the message so you can see it. You will connect the dots. Another critical junction. Here we are in Numbers. We go all the way from Joseph to Numbers. Wow. Numbers chapter 14. Here's a critical junction. Moses is now the leader. They've been freed and they're out. And now he asks 12 spies to go free to spy out the land. And then when they come back, they bring back the fruit of the land. And it's incredible. But they also bring back, the Bible says, an evil report. There were 10 of the 12 says, we cannot take the land. Yeah, it flows with milk and honey, but we cannot take the land because there are giants, Anak, there. And we were as grasshoppers in, their own eye, in our own eyes. These guys didn't tell them they were grasshoppers. That was the perception of themselves. Regardless of what they had seen at the Red Sea, they still saw themselves small and, 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 and unable to fulfill what God had given them. You know why they saw themselves small? Because they weren't looking at the big God who had delivered them before. By the way, guys, if you're a tweener, your story is not about you. It's about your God. This is about God in your life. Critical junction. Watch this. Numbers chapter 14, it says, Then Moses and Aaron fell on the, down on the, on the ground before the whole community of Israel. Two of the men who had expected, who explored the land, Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephne, tore their clothes, clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we travel through and explore is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleasing with us, he will bring us safely into the land that, that he will give to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord. These two men says, don't rebel against God. These two men are saying, be faithful to God. They're standing up for, on, on God's promises. Do not rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of this land. They are helpless. Pray to us. They have no protection, but the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk of stoning both Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. Here's another critical junction. Here are two men stood up for what God had said, and the people decided to kill them. So we have to, this is a critical junction because in the story of Moses, we put now two men in the picture. One Joshua, one Caleb. Keep that in mind. One Joshua and Caleb, both men are faithful. Number three, God's divine positioning will sustain us during our most difficult times. Read it. Ready? Read. I want you to see this. In Genesis chapter 39, 1 through 4, we're still talking to Joseph. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelites, traders, and was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guards of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything that he did as he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Watch this. Potiphar noticed this. 
realized the Lord was with Joseph, giving him success in everything he did. Even in this critical junction of being a slave, God was still moving. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household in everything. Critical junction. Ready? This man is faithful. And then he's lied on for a rape that he did not commit. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 19 to 23, we see another critical junction in the life of Joseph that is crucial to the life of Moses. Potiphar was furious when he heard his wife tell the story of how Joseph treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into the prison where king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison guard. Before long, the warden put Joseph in charge of all other prisoners and over everything that happened in the prison. The warden had no more worries because Joseph took care of everything. Why? The Lord was with him and caused everything he did to succeed. Point three says that God's divine positioning will sustain you and I even in the most difficult times of our lives. Has God sustained you? Now we jump to Exodus chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. Moses is now has confronted Pharaoh. Several times he told him to let the people go. And now Moses has become discouraged. Look at what it says. But Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord God had said, and they refused to listen. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. Then the Lord said to Moses, go back to Pharaoh the king of Egypt, and to tell him to let my people leave this country. But the Lord, but, but Lord, Moses objected, my own people won't listen to me anymore. How can I expect Pharaoh to listen? I'm such a clumsy speaker. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them orders for the Israelites and for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron to lead the people out of Egypt. What happens when you're in a place and you become discouraged at what you're seeing? Well, look at verse 10. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, even as he's encouraged, he says, go back. Go back. What is he saying to us? When you become discouraged at the place God got you, he says, I want you to go back. Go back what? Go back and look at what I've done for you. Go back and look at the promises I made that I've kept. He said, when you're confused about where you are, go back. Go back. Go back to the first assignment. Go back to when you were faithful. And then I will show you that where I have you, I'm going to deliver you. But I need you to go back to remind yourself of who I am, not who you are. Moses, very critical junction. He was very discouraged. And then finally, number four. Number four. Because of all of this, we see the deliverance. We see God said there is no man like Moses. We see in the wilderness for 40 years, this man has done incredible things, but he came to a point in his life where he, he allowed a moment of frustration to where God says, speak to the rock, and he hits it. And at that point, God calls him up. He says, Moses, you can no longer go in the promised land. And Because of that, now I've got to make a shift in some things. And I want you to see this. Number four, favor is granted by God because it is God who positions us. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 5 through 8, I want you to understand Moses chooses Joshua to be the next leader. 
The Lord will hand over to you the people who live there. He's now getting ready to choose the next leader. And you must deal with them as I have commanded you. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally go with you and go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. Then Moses called for Joshua. Notice what he said. After God gave the promise, he calls Joshua. As, and as all of Israel watched, he said unto them, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors. He would give to them. You are the one who will divide it among, the, among them as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you, and he will be with you, and he will neither fail you nor abandon you. Watch this. In our journey, we saw two men who was faithful to God, Joshua and Caleb. And for all of Israel who wanted to kill these two men, he chooses Joshua. Now, I know there have been people who was sitting there watching this and says, well, God, why did he choose Joshua? Caleb was just as faithful. Why did he choose Caleb? Thank you, Holy Spirit. Pastor Ben, you are that Joshua. Not that the other pastors were not faithful. Not that the other Caleb's were not faithful, but because of divine positioning, God says, and here's what he tells you, son. Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the place that God swore to pass by Pastor Renee. God made promises to one man, and we see the results. There is something greater and deeper and a shifting that's taking place, not only in this church, but in your life. He tells you today, Pastor Ben, that you are the one who will divide the promises and the things that God has said to us. You will rightly divide the word of God of truth as the man before you has divided the truth. You will divide the word of God and God said, because of the calling on your life, God will begin to, right before your very eyes, begin to shift people under your leadership. But be strong and courageous, son. For the Lord will personally go ahead of you, Ben. Ben, he will be with you, Pastor Ben. He will not cause you to fail, nor will he abandon you. To every single one of you that is sitting under the sound of my voice, you need to understand Moses reveals God's promises to the leader. And here is what God is saying to the congregation of Israel. Here's what God is saying to the congregation of the living word. The Lord will personally go ahead of you. God will be with you. God will not fail us. And God has not, will not abandon us. This is the promise that God has continued to make while Pastor Renee was here, and he will continue making the same promise when the helm shifts. I want you to stand on your feet. The Holy Spirit, I didn't know how I wanted to close this message, but I got to close it the way he wants me to close it. If you don't mind, Pastor Ben, won't you please come?
He had no idea I was going to do this. I want you to stand right, right here, young man. I call him young man. I want all of our leaders and their wives, if you're here, I want you to come. All of our leaders, come up and their wives, I want you to come. Now, I know this is going to take place later, but this message is relevant to where our church is. You see, the pain that Pastor Renee had to endure was great. We weren't there. There is a story behind this. this is a, there are stories behind this story. Pastor Ben, I sat with you and you told me the pain and the agony you had to endure. And you were just asking God, Lord, I don't understand why you have me in this season. But the famine forced you to Egypt. The famine forced you to God's divine positioning. And son, I want to tell you, and every one of us, we are so proud of you. And everything that God is doing in and through your life. And I want to encourage not only you, but I want to encourage the church. I want to encourage all of the leaders in here. That number one, the Lord will personally go ahead of you, son. Don't worry about your babies. God's got those babies. God will be with you, young man. God will not fail you. And God will not abandon you. I want you guys to stretch your hands forward. I want you guys to lay your hands on him. Let's pray for him. I know this is going to happen again, but man, you... I need all the prayers. <laughs> <laughs> I take it all. Amen. Father, I thank you for this Joshua. I thank you for this Joshua. For God, that could not have been a Moses without a Joseph, without an Abram. And Lord, as, jo- as Joshua stands here, I thank you for all of the Caleb's that are laying, laying hands upon this young man because they have been just as faithful. Lord, you have, they have been committed to you from the day that you called them. So while we're standing here laying our hands on Joshua to bless him, Lord, I ask that you bless all of the Caleb's. All of the Caleb's who've been faithful, oh God. Today, we stand on your promises. We thank you for your divine positioning in this life. And know that there are many things you're going to do. So we pray for him to be encouraged, to be faithful in all of your doing. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want you to be reminded of the three areas that we're praying for. God bless you. God keep you. We love you. God's divine position has you right where you need to be. Amen. Go with God and he'll go with you.